Cliffcentral.com. It's time for Markets Mondays, everybody. This is your chance to join us in a conversation about what's happening in the markets, whether you're looking for a safe place to start and you're a brand new trader, or you're an experienced trader who's looking for low spreads, multi-assets, and high-tech, you will find Markets.com suits you perfectly. And we've got a special offer to everybody who's listening to us this morning. Follow the link on cliffcentral.com. Just go to our website, register with markets.com. You will get a 30% bonus on your deposit. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? That's because it is. We're going to welcome to the show this morning, uh, none other than Kiarabilue Nonyana. And Kiarabilue, it's nice to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. You are with markets.com and you're going to help us understand some basic principles this morning. What happens when nations borrow too much? Well, this week we're delving into the complex world of high national debt, debt ceilings, because this is what's going on in America at the moment, how raising them can impact economic growth and social investment. And Kiara Bidwe is here to help us. He's a financial markets practitioner specializing in equity derivatives. His experience includes working for JP Morgan as an equity derivatives sales trader. So Kiara Bidwe, nice to see you and thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning, Gareth, and good morning to the rest of your listeners. Thanks, man. So first of all, what sets markets.com apart from its competitors and what made you want to work with them? Because I'm always curious where they find you guys and where you guys find them. Yeah, so for me, I, I think, you know, the problem is when people start thinking about financial markets, I, I think they recall movies like Wolf of Wall Street, where they see a couple of traders calling clients and they're on, on telephones and they're trying to sell them stocks that are going up 400, 500% in the next two weeks. And I right. think the market, stockbroking and, and, and access to financial markets has really changed over the 20 to 25 year period where technology and cost have come to the fore. And what I mean by that is, usually back in the days, you'd have to take your telephone, not even cell phone, call a guy mm-hmm. that you probably don't know, who probably works for, who probably works for a bank and you'll never see. And mm-hmm. the problem is he'll be selling you stocks that other institutions don't actually want to buy or selling you financial assets that no one else wants to touch. He saves his best for his best clients. So with markets.com, what this technology has helped normal people on the street do is access global markets at the best technology at an affordable price. I always say, even back when I started my career, it was really hard to believe that you could just take out your cell phone and click buy or sell, and it would happen instantaneously. So why markets.com sets itself apart? is the technology, is, is, is the capitalization of the technology and continuous spending on the technology such that ease and access to the normal guy in the street is possible. And at the end of the day, it also comes back down to cost. What has been a barrier to entry into the financial markets has always been the high cost attached to any financial transaction. You can transact at fractions of cents on markets.com depending on your size. I love this. This is very helpful for, for those people who are still suspicious and or unconvinced or completely ignorant. So let's get into the U.S. because I mentioned this in the introduction. So the United States is coming up fast on its deadline to hit the debt ceiling. I believe there's been some kind of a deal that's been offered by McCarthy now and Biden's come to 
to the table eventually. But for those who are new to the concept, can you explain a little bit about what the debt ceiling is in America and what function it serves? So prior to World War One, the problem that, that that the American government was having was having to having to always okay the spend in which Wilson was taking at the time. And remember, during wartime, spending spending needs to happen quickly because the 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 chance of having to go through congressional approval in order to get mm-hmm. spending approved is it, it is quite a tedious process as we've seen over the past two weeks. So what sure. what lawmakers have introduced was a debt ceiling. So just looking at just purely just personal finance, if you make money but you spend more than you make in your household, you either need to make more money or you can go to a bank and borrow. So governments mm-hmm. have the same access to finances. They can borrow from people in the street or they can borrow from financial institutions. But now you see that the kind, the kind of conundrum it, it presents to lawmakers and economies, that if you give governments unlimited access to debt, they may run rampant. And the problem was they had to introduce measures in order to curtail spending as well as curtail excessive borrowing from lawmakers. And that's why the debt ceiling was introduced in America, which I think is a good measure. And I think any government should have limits on how much it can go to market and borrow because excess debt also means that you need to pay access and interest as we see here in South Africa. Okay. But then the U S debt ceiling is said to have raised itself 90 times in the 20th century. So we put these, these uh, checks and balances on the politicians. And then all they do is they 90 times in a hundred years change the debt ceiling. So what long-term effects do these decisions have on an economy? I mean, we know that the U.S. government has borrowed and printed more money in the last couple of years than has ever existed on planet Earth in all the years before it. So what are the financial implications of a raise of the debt ceiling in 2023? Well, I mean, when you look at the long-term effects, I mean, uh, I mean, if, if I told you that there are some long-term bad effects, people will probably laugh me out because the U.S. economy is growing quite strongly and still remains the most powerful economy in the world 100 years later. But I think, you know, when you get back to theory and understanding what this means, because of the true bipartisan nature of politics in the U.S., what this helps to do is curtail spending, in my opinion, because for this deal to have passed through, they, they had to be a lot of give and takes from both Republicans and Democrats. So I think the long term effect is seeing a little bit more austerity, which means cutting back on spending, that it helps the coffers of the government actually spend less later. But what I also think is, is, an effect local, is an effect right now is the budget is just not going to balance. And whenever the budget is not balancing at any, any point in time, that means there will be funding shortages somewhere in the future, which means, mm. truly speaking, the debt ceiling will be raised again when it comes up again in 2025, which really presents quite, quite a problem for lawmakers at the moment. And I think in this bipartisan politics that you see in the U.S., you still find that because the incumbents who come into government are, are, are quite rightly different every four years or every eight years, you find that they have different views on how the economy should interact with debt.
where the Democrats do believe in spending on social spending, while the Republicans believe in having tech, tax cuts. And as you know, with tax cuts comes less revenue. So where are you going to make it? You're going to end up borrowing more. And on the Democrat side, they want to spend on social spending, which means right. that they raise government, drop, raise government spending in the interim for non-productive, non-productive means. So you can see the conundrum it presents on both sides of politics. Yeah, it's it, politics is you know the politicians of course are very good at spending other people's money, so they're gonna they're gonna find ways to do this. Am I right? It's not like you can't <laughs> teach an old dog new tricks in that case. So all right, Karabila, let's just talk for a second about South Africa. How is the South African South African equity, our, our own stock market and our own investment potential looking right now? Because we know other emerging markets and developing economies are sometimes faring a whole lot better than we are. Um, how are we doing right now? What's your what's your take? I mean, going through financial reports of the last quarter, what you are seeing is the effects of load shedding starting to cost companies money, and seeing the the incredible spend that our local co- corporates are spending just to keep the lights on in order to trade. I mean, we just looked at the Shoprite Group, which I believe is the best retailer in the world having to spend almost 400 million rands on replacing the light bulbs. And just to get more energy efficient light bulbs cost them 400 million. And you start looking down the retailers, you're looking at banks, you're looking at clothing retailers, you're starting to Mm. see the effects of domestic political and economic decisions, which they really have no, 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 no hand in. I think the problem of load shedding has been created by the state. And right now, businesses have to remain nimble and quite dynamic in order to to, to carry on operating. But what I do believe with South African corporations is that we have some of the best CEOs and managers in South Africa who have navigated this time like no other, other corporations I think could have. And I think they've created businesses which are, can operate in, in, in really hard times. Because even as we're seeing such economic disparity here in South Africa and really seeing income inequality, what they have been able to do is create product ranges that do, that do, that do speak to all LSMs from LSM 1 to 10. And that means from really down to, to the poorest of the poor to the most affluent. And I really think looking at those different pockets is where our, our corporates set themselves apart in comparison to other emerging markets. Do I believe that South Africa has some of the best value in terms of equity, equity counters in comparison to other emerging markets? It probably ranks second. First, I'd say would be China, but South Africa really is competing in a tough economic environment. Hmm. All right, well, that's not all bad news, and thank you for your insights this morning. Kiara uh, Bilwe, Nonyana, it's very good to have you on the show, and thank you for um, for talking to us this morning. We'll check in with you hopefully very, very soon again. Have another chat. Thank you, Gary. Nice to meet you. Sure, nice to meet you, man. Awesome, awesome stuff. All right, well, that's all we got time for this morning with Markets.com, but if you want to find out more, go along to Markets.com. You will get a 30% bonus on your deposit if you follow through the link from CliffCentral.com. And you can find them on social media. They're very, very busy on Instagram. You find them on Twitter as well, markets.com. And you can find them on marketscomsa on all the social media stuff as well. Cliffcentral.com.